Christmas is a time of pursuit. Sometimes I like to call it trivial pursuit. We are seeking for something. Have you ever gone to Walmart on Christmas Eve? Those of you dads who have forgotten Christmas gifts for your wives. You go to Christmas Eve at Walmart and some, everyone is going fast. No one is walking around, talking to you, hanging out. Everyone's on a mission. They are seeking that perfect gift. Or maybe just a few more stocking stuffers. We really have to make Christmas extra special this year. Or maybe you're looking for grandma's cookie recipe. And you're digging through all your files and all your paper looking for that one thing. And, and everyone is pursuing something. Even pastors are seeking the perfect sermon illustration. They're going to Walmart watching people waiting for that sermon illustration to come. Or maybe just the right text to explain why Christmas is important. But here's the thing. It misses the whole point of Christ, doesn't it? Seeking misses the point of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named, and you all know this, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Christmas is about God coming to us, born for us. Did you hear the language? Given to us. A child, a son will be born and a child will be given. Tonight we're going to zoom in and focus primarily on verse 6 of this passage. Sunday we're going to unpack the whole passage. But tonight we're just going to look at this one little bit. The significance of a birth. The significance of the birth of a king, as our song rightly tells us. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, as your word comes forth, I pray that we would be a people who submit to this king, this king that was born in a manger of humble circumstances. Father, we pray that he would become a wonderful counselor to our hearts. He would be our mighty God, our everlasting father and our prince of peace. Father, help us not to leave this place tonight without having heard from your word, without having heard from this wonderful counselor, without having felt the power of the mighty God without having the hope of the eternal Father, and without having the peace that comes only from this Prince of Peace. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. So what makes the birth of a king significant? Why is the birth of Jesus Christ such a big deal? Why do we still celebrate it? My boys told me they know that Christ is the reason for Christmas because it's in the name, for goodness sake. Christ Mass. Now we know the history of that and we're not going to get into it, but we do know that Christ is a king and he is born. So when we, when we think about a king, we want to know someone by their character. And that's what we get in our passage from chapter seven and eight. He is called Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he is said to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the Prince of Peace. Now this Christmas Eve, I want you to meditate on the qualities and conditions of the King's birth. Meditate, which means to think on for a lot of time, chew it, and we have cattle around our house, and they chew on the cud, and they just soak all the nutrients out of what they're chewing on. So that's what we're going to do tonight in verse 6. 
And I want you to think about this. What are the qualities and conditions of King Jesus? So the qualities of the newborn king is, first of all, that he is the wonderful counselor. When we think about this wonderful counsel, we recognize that we follow a lot of counsel. Those around us give us suggestions or try to give us wisdom or tell us things that we need to know. And so we recognize that counsel, the counsel we follow, says a lot about us. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I, I follow this news source? It says a lot about us, doesn't it? When we say we follow a news source, automatically people are jumping to conclusions. They already know what they think about you. And so we recognize that what we follow says a lot about us. Psalm 1.1 says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So we're reminded by the fact that the fools reject God's word and the wisdom and said that the wise obey it. So the first thing we see is that he is the wonderful counselor. Christ must be the ultimate or at the very least a miraculous because that's what wonderful means. It is a miracle. It is supernatural. It is a supernatural revelation of God's wisdom. Oops. As you study the life of Christ, you're going to see this to be true. John 3, verses 34 through 36 says this, For the one whom God sent speaks God's word, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This Jesus is the revelation of God's wisdom. So when you think about Christ and his revelation, recognize that this is a miraculous source of knowledge. The next thing you see is that he is mighty God, which is a reference to his power, his authority. The wind and the waves obey Jesus. Jesus has the authority because he is God. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's what Jesus says. He has authority. He says, All authority has been given to me. So, this Jesus, not only with his I am statements, claims to be God. This birth of a king, this king in a manger, is very God. He has the authority of God. Not only does Jesus use the I am statements which claim to be God, which makes the Jews want to stone him for his blasphemy. If he wasn't claiming to be God himself, they wouldn't want to kill him. John 1.1 1, 1 is a powerful statement about Jesus being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Thomas the Doubter fell down and worshipped Jesus. And what does he say? Because Jesus doesn't correct him. And if Jesus was just a prophet, or Jesus was just a good man, he would correct Thomas. Thomas says this, My Lord and my God, once he saw the nail marks in the hands. Thomas recognized, a Jew recognized that this is God. 
which would have been blasphemous if it wasn't so true. Revelation points to Jesus as God. Revelation 1.8, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. You see what John did there? John took Jesus' words and said, the Lord God said this. The one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Scripture over and over again points to Jesus as God. We can't miss this about the birth of a king. Because this is what's interesting. This, this baby in a manger does not look massively impressive. And we are very prone to forget that this is the wonderful counselor. That this is the mighty God. And next, we see that he has conditions. The conditions of his kingdom. The conditions of his kingship. Jesus will rule for eternity. He is the everlasting father. How many of you kids have watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? What was that one candy that had the similar name? Anybody remember? Everlasting Gobstopper, right? And it was a candy that would last forever. They could suck on it and suck on it and it would never dissolve. And that was a, a prize candy. And so this everlasting concept means it will never end. There's no end to the reign of Jesus. It doesn't matter what happens on the news. It doesn't matter what happens in Washington. It doesn't matter what happens in your own family. We know that God will reign for eternity. There's no end to his kingdom and authority. Now, Jesus's surprising coming is very unobtrusive if you think about it. If the God of the universe was going to come down to earth, if eternity was going to come to finite beings, if the infinite was going to come into the finite, how would that happen? We would think of explosions maybe, or large gatherings, or a marching band, or a parade. If one of the kings and queens in England had children and they were going to do a coronation, what would it look like? It would be massive, right? They would spend all the money. Yet this one comes to a homeless person, essentially. They don't have a place. There's no home. And so we remember a homeless person in our home every Christmas as we go around our Christmas tree, as we open our presents. This everlasting father grows in greatness. His ministry progresses. All the passages in Matthew about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that grows into a huge tree is indicating that this kingdom of Jesus starts unobtrusive and begins to expand, begins to grow. It expands forever. There's no end to it. We'll talk a little more about this on Sunday. It's kind of technical with some of the words. The next thing is, as we consider this infinite, uh, this infant, that's a good rhyme, infinite infant, and the coming of Jesus, he has humble beginnings. And he's called the Prince of Peace. His kingdom will be marked by peace. End of war and conflict. Jesus first makes peace between God and man through his, what we call, propitiation. This is a big word, I know, but it basically means his personal sacrifice and obedience. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So how does that happen? And we're going to get a little technical tonight. I know you guys can handle it. Jesus Christ has to be fully God in order to bear the full wrath of God on the cross. That's the only way this is possible. 
So Jesus Christ, that baby in a manger who later goes on to die, has to be perfect and he has to be God. He has to be born of a woman, not a man, because he can't have the inherited sin nature of mankind. So he has to be fully God. He has to be truly God, as our creeds and catechisms all try to talk to us about. And so he is fully God. But the other thing is he has to be fully man. He has to be 100% man. 100 plus 100 equals 100, right? He has to be 100% man. Why does he have to be fully man? You know, this is what has split the church thousands of years ago. This was, there were battles over this. People were fighting. In fact, how many of you children like Santa Claus? Did you know that there was a man named St. Nicholas? And he was in a church meeting and he slapped somebody. Santa Claus punched somebody in the face. And that man was Arius, who denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. He said that that little baby could not have been fully God. And so he denied it. And so St. Nicholas, Santa Claus as we call him, got up and slapped that dude across the face because he was denying the divinity of Christ. So when we think about Santa Claus, think about he does not like heretics. Fully God and fully man. Why does he have to be fully man? Because only a representative from among us could possibly represent our condition before a holy and perfect God. We all know this, right? No one wants to, to, to elect a senator that doesn't come from their own state, right? In fact, there's legal protections against that. But we would not want to have a president who was Puerto Rican or, or well, I guess that's, that doesn't really work, um, who was from another country. We would not want someone from South, Amer South Africa or South America to represent us in the White House, so Jesus has to be fully man. He has to experience everything that we did. And I know that this is a divine mystery that is very confusing, right? How could God and, and man mingle in human flesh? How could he be 100% and 100% equaling 100%? Well, we have to know that this is God. And with all God, all things are possible, as he tells other folks in the New Testament. And so this is what it does. The fact that he does that buys us peace, purchase us, purchases us, peace. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. That word sympathize means to co-suffer. Jesus came in the form of a baby. And guess what? It was probably not such a silent night. I know I'm wrecking everyone's Christmas songs. I'm sorry. He cried because he was hungry. He faced the experience that we faced. He had pain. He was uncomfortable. That, that hay does not look so soft. And he cried and he made noise because he had a human body that experienced everything that we did. And it says that he co-sympathizes or co-suffers with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, he faced the same temptations, yet he is without sin. He did not sin one bit in any of this. So guess what? It's not a sin when your baby cries. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Jesus brings peace. First, or John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Because he brings peace. This Jesus, this, 
this baby that lies in a manger that we think about on Christmas. We think of all these cutesy little nativity scenes, and we have all of them. And, and he looks like the perfect little you know baby there on the in the little tiny place, and it's such a nice thing. And we all we all ooh and ah at this baby. But we have to remember that this one is the one that purchases us peace with God. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this information about Jesus is something to cherish. These are important aspects of who Christ is, who Jesus Christ is. And because of that, I want to cherish it. I want to hold it close. I want to sing about it. I want to celebrate. I want to worship this newborn king. I don't know about you, but this means we have a response. When I think about Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, I recognize something that I have been living in rebellion against this because I take my wisdom from the world. I don't turn to God's word to understand how to live. I don't turn in hope to the everlasting life that he has given me. I turn away from the peace that he has purchased. And also, I don't always trust that he is a mighty God because how often do we try to do things on our own, in our own power? We have to submit ourselves to this newborn king. We accept this free gift, this humble gift that comes to us. And the only way to get that is to humble ourselves. To recognize that, guess what? I'm not such a wonderful counselor. I'm not a mighty God. I am not everlasting. Well, now I am, right? We have an everlasting soul. But it's not in a good sense, always. And I am not the Prince of Peace. I cannot bring peace. Out of this joy that we get what we don't deserve, we have to ask this question. Is Jesus Christ your king? Is he your king? The fancy language we like to use is Lord. We don't usually use that language in modern society anymore, but is he your king? I had a friend who uh, lives in England, and he shared on Facebook. He said, pray for the queen because this is her first um, Christmas without her husband. I was like, that's nice. We should definitely pray for that. I'm like, but she's not my queen, right? Because I don't, res I don't respect that office. I don't bow to that office. I don't look on TV and watch what happens to the royal family because they're not my king and not my queen. But Jesus Christ is my king. And so if he's your king, this should interest you. You should be interested in this. Is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your mighty God? Is he your everlasting father? And is he your prince of peace? In a world of constant seeking, searching, and pursuing, like I said earlier, trivial pursuit, we need to recognize that this newborn king was given to us and for us. We who have received this gift can rest in it and enjoy it and to share it with our neighbors. Jesus Christ is what we need. Every generation is in need of a wonderful counselor. Every generation is in need of a mighty God. Every generation is in need of the everlasting Father. And every generation is in need of a Prince of Peace. We need God with us, not just on Christmas, but every day. Not only does our darkened hearts need Him, but so does this world. So does our neighbors. So while we treasure Christ in our hearts and in our homes tonight and tomorrow, and this week, I want you to also consider how we can share 
the same light with those around us just as we do in our candlelight service. I'm going to ask those that are, are um, involved in lighting of the candles to come forward. <clears throat> 